So this morning, I want to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. I've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Um, this morning, or a few, few weeks ago, I talked about peace, the fruit of the Spirit, peace. How that Jesus came to bring peace. We read from Ephesians 2 that he... He died on the cross, and through the shedding of His blood, He made it possible for us who were far away from God to now come close to God. He broke down the barriers for us to come close to God. Sin had built this wall. Our humanity, our sinfulness, had, had put a big barrier between us and God. And we were at odds with Him. We were not at peace with Him. But because of what Jesus did, we are now brought to peace with Him. The whole, as we choose to walk by faith, believe who Jesus is, commit ourselves to following in the steps of Jesus, that's living our lives like Jesus lived his on this earth, and we receive him by faith, the Holy Spirit comes in and we commit ourselves to keeping in step with the Spirit, which is one with Jesus and God the Father, they're all one, then we are at peace with God. As we confess our sins and follow Jesus and conform our lives to His pattern, we are living out the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are now at peace with God. And because we are at peace with God, we can now stand ourselves. We can be at peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. I think that's bigger than peace with other people. We have difficulty living in peace with other people because we're not at peace with ourselves, and we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. It starts there the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, where there's no barriers, nothing holding us back. We are all his. He is lord of our life, and we're talking with the king every day, all the time. And we are at peace with God, and we can be at peace with ourselves. When we're at peace with God and with ourselves, it's much easier to be at peace with these strange people God has placed us on earth with, people who are so different from us, we can be at peace with them. My weird brother, my ornery sister, my unrealistic dad, my nagging mother, I can be at peace with every one of them and every brother and sister in Christ.
I don't take any stereotypes from that. I just, I just needed to make some points. All right? <clears throat> so we can be at peace. Now, we are also called to be peacemakers. As we live out this peace, we are called to be peacemakers. What's a peacemaker? Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. Hmm, what's that? Have you ever seen that? At least by spurts in your church? <laughs> the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's interesting language. A bond of peace, something that ties us together. Unity of the Spirit. What does that mean? And Jesus' words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Oh, he's just like his dad. He's a peacemaker. God the Father is a peacemaker. And he sent his son to show us. God is a peacemaker. Jesus was a peacemaker. Now, not everybody liked his peacemaking, his peacemaking, and they didn't like the way he went at it. But he's still a peacemaker for those who are willing to have peace made. Peacemaker. So if you and I are peacemakers, we are like Jesus, and we are walking in the power of the Spirit and the unity of the Spirit. We are now representatives of the Prince of Peace. 700 years before his birth, it, he, it was announced that he is the Prince of Peace. Well, that makes sense. Prince is the son of the king. God is the peacemaker, and Jesus comes as his son, the Prince of Peace. At his birth, what was announced? Peace on earth. And through his arrival, we can now have peace in our heart and peace with others. His life's teaching, the Sermon on the Mount we have here, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, in announcing about his kingdom, this is one of the most instructive verses that I find about what Jesus' kingdom is like. Jesus, when he was on trial... He was asked questions, and he was being tried by Pilate, and he, they were, he was asking them these questions and about his kingdom and who he is. And, and, and Jesus said, my kingdom, read this with me. Here we go. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Isn't that, isn't that, in a nutshell, what Jesus was here about to start his kingdom? And his kingdom is not of this world. The, the kingdoms of this world fight. They do. The kingdoms of this world 
fight. When you and I fight people, I'm not talking about fighting spiritual warfare, evil spirits. When you and I fight people, it is not of God. It is not of God's kingdom. That is not what Jesus' servants do. He said it. It's as clear as can be. My servants don't fight. We are peacemakers. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight, and, and I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be giving my life. So anyway, but Jesus brought his kingdom. This is how Jesus works, and all his followers need to work this way as well. How did Jesus, how was Jesus a peacemaker? Jesus came to earth. Why did he come to earth? What was that big thing that he came to do at the end of life? Not a trick question. He gave his life on the cross. He gave his life. People, that's what a peacemaker does. Jesus gave his life on the cross to make peace. He brought peace through the cross. Now, we like that. We're so glad Jesus died on the cross so we can have salvation, so we can have forgiveness of sin, so we can be we're so glad for the way of the cross because it brings us salvation. But brothers and sisters, are we willing to take the way of the cross in daily relationships? We can't just have the way of the cross to have salvation. We need the way of the cross in daily life. Jesus clearly said, you cannot be my disciple unless you take your cross and follow me. We need cross-bearing Christians, people who have decided to die with Jesus and following him then we will become peacemakers. Let's not just claim the way of the cross for salvation. Let's embrace the cross for our daily life and our daily relationships. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, and we're talking about injustice here, injustice, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And through that, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what Jesus did. That's how he made peace. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we, we having chosen the cross, died to sins, might live for righteousness. And how is this righteousness lived out? Well, we need to be bearing the sins of others in our body. 
There's not one of us here who's not been sinned against. And some of us very directly, this in our body, like Jesus did, means different things. But this is how we make peace. We bear the sins of others. That's how we live righteously. By Jesus' stripes, we are healed. By our stripes, others are healed now as peacemakers. Being a peacemaker affects our view of war as well as all our relationships in the home, in the church, on the job, and in every area of our life. All right, let's talk a little bit about this ministry of reconciliation, being a peacemaker, helping people come into peace with God, helping people come into peace with each other. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Please turn in your Bibles to John 17. Here we have the prayer of Jesus. That's a beautiful prayer, the prayer of Jesus. Now let me just, let me just uh, clarify one thing. People try to reconcile opinions and differences, all right? People try, we try really hard to reconcile differing opinions and other differences. We try to reconcile them. Well, Jesus' emphasis was to reconcile persons. And I invite us to make that shift. Stop trying so hard to reconcile opinions and ideas and this and that and other differences Try harder to reconcile persons. This husband with his wife. This divorced husband with the divorced wife. This estranged child with her parents. This brother in the church with the body. We need to get our focus away from reconciling every opinion, and reconciling people, especially with God. John 17. Now notice, if, uh, please follow along here if you can. The last verse in, in John 16 says these things. Jesus was talking about, the, to, about him going away. He's going to go away, but then he's going to send his spirit and then in verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me, Jesus, you may have peace. Ah, in Jesus we have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Get that, people. It's not going to be easy. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I, the one in whom you have peace, have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus, uh, uh, the first five verses, Jesus starts talking to the Father. And he's praying to the Father. And he prays for himself. Now, the, the, I, I'm just, I, I just love this prayer. He's not just constantly asking God for this and thanking him for that, asking him for this and thanking him for that, asking him for this and thanking him. That's not, Jesus was just talking to his father, talking about how it is, 
Say, God, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. And, and he was just talking to his father. And he prayed for four verses. And not until the fifth verse did Jesus have a prayer request. He said, Father, glorify me together with yourself. He finally comes to his prayer request after he's talking with the father for a while. And then verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And in praying for his disciples, again, he doesn't just rush into giving a list of prayer requests. He's talking with the Father. He starts praying for his disciples in verse 6, and not until verse 11 does he make his first request for his disciples. And check out what that number one request is that Jesus had for his disciples. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are. Jesus' request was that God the Father would keep his disciples, that they may be one. His number one request, that they may be one. Oneness. Verse 15 has a second request. Keep them from the evil one. Verse 17 has a third request. Sanctify them by your truth. Now we go on down to verse 20. 20 to the end of the chapter, he's praying for us. He's praying for all believers, not just his immediate disciples there. He's praying for all believers. And again, what's his first request. Verse 21, if I'm not mistaken, that they all may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, I in them and you in them, that they may be made perfect in one. Jesus prayed three times that we would be one. And why? That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as I have loved you. So that's the prayer. That's the heart cry of Jesus, that we are one in him. Why? So the world will know. So that we can be peacemakers to the world. For the world. All right. Let's talk a little bit about being his representatives now. By our oneness. We can be his representatives. Um, let's see. I don't have these verses up here. I thought I was, had that. So I guess you'll have to turn uh, to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. We are now, uh, this was Jesus' prayer, that we would be one for the sake of reconciliation. From walls to oneness, taking down those walls and becoming one, making peace. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. That's putting us at peace with himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How did he do that? How's this ministry of reconciliation done? Verse 19. That is, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did Jesus do it? Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's no different for us, people. The way Jesus brought reconciliation was by not imputing their trespasses against them. Jesus brings reconciliation for us with the Father by not counting our sins against. In other words, forgiving us. That's how we can bring reconciliation and be ministers of reconciliation as well, by forgiving people. This is so to the heart of God that he says, if my followers do not forgive others, I will not forgive them. And I believe the reason God will not forgive us if we keep unforgiveness in our heart is because he so wants the whole world to know that he is a forgiving God, that if his followers are not forgiving, then, then he says, you're not my followers. He wants the world to know that he is a forgiving God. So we continue to forgive as his representatives. All right, there's a verse in Colossians that says, let peace rule, and let the, God, that the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful, be thankful. So, letting the peace rule in, our, in the decisions of our hearts, and in the decisions of the body, letting the peace of God rule. Please turn in your Bibles now to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 2 talked about uh, um, how, how Jesus did this. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Talking about bringing that wall down. And uh, verse 16, Ephesians 2, 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So that's what Jesus did. Now in, in chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 4, I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So we're following in Jesus' footsteps, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. So now the, the idea is to walk worthy of this calling. And here's how it's done. Very clear instructions. Ephesians 4 verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's going to cost us, people. Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing, putting up with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's oneness. That is the oneness. 
Verse 7, however, has a but. But. Okay, so we have this oneness. But there are differences. Look at verse 11. And he himself gave some this and some that. There are diff- we have different callings. We have different things to do. We are different. But we all work together. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we're one, we're one body, we have one Lord, we have one Father, one baptism. Why divisions? Why walls? Why barriers? Why? Why church splits? Why family animosities? Why? Why? It's because of differences. Differences. Some of these differences don't matter. Some of these differences are differences of right and wrong. And some of these differences, you think you're right, and I think you're wrong, and I'm right. But nonetheless, they're all differences. They're differences. That's why there's barriers. That's why walls go up. That's why certain people don't talk to other people. That's why, you, you know, you've lived it. And these barriers become, come because we are concerned about what's right, and we should be. Why would I do what I do if, I, if it wouldn't be the right thing to do? That would be dumb of me. I'm concerned about what's right. So I'm going to do what I think is right. But the barriers go up when I'm right without loving. When I'm concerned about being right, but I'm less concerned about loving. Both matter, and I think loving matters more. And loving isn't in opposition to being right. In fact, if I love you, I will tell you the truth the best I know how, even if you get angry with me. That's love, because I care about loving. But it comes from the standpoint of loving first that I stand for what's right, instead of standing for what's right in the absence of love. So let's just talk about some of these differences. Pride, jealousy, unforgiveness, control. Again, some of this is sin. Differences of right and wrong, but some of it is just differences. Controls, selfishness, fear, prejudices, riches, goals, church, culture, gender, ignorance, opinions, race, differences in age, differences in maturity, differences in position and perspective, differences in marital status. So many differences. This is just a, just, uh, we are just all different, and yet we're one. We're one. The greater the difference, the greater the love. That's the beauty of it all. If loving God with all our heart and loving each other is number one on our agenda, then if I 
come up with a difference with you. It's just a greater opportunity to love. And by this shall all men know that we are his disciples, that we can love each other through these differences. Instead of thinking the greater the difference, the quicker we can cut people off, the greater the difference, the greater the opportunity for love. Paul challenged the Corinthians about going to, to the law with one another. He said, why do you not rather take wrong? Why, you, why do you not rather take wrong? That's Jesus' way. Walls or oneness? Sin and differences create barriers. Holy Spirit love takes them down. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, putting uh, thereby putting to death the enmity. We are one body. One body gets its orders from one head. What is oneness? Now, again, oneness isn't a lack of differences. I mean, just male and female is enough to fight about. I mean, I understand why some women never want to trust another male again. And I understand why some men never want to live with another woman again. Because there's differences. But that male-female, that's one of the greatest illustrations of oneness. We come together, my wife and I came together in marriage. Now we're one. We are one. But that doesn't mean all the differences went away. So we can experience oneness, but sometimes because of differences, I'm supposed to go to this church and you're supposed to go to this church. Sometimes because of differences, I'm supposed to go here and you're supposed to go there. And sometimes because of differences, it works better for you to have this perspective and me to have this perspective. So oneness doesn't eliminate differences. Let's not try so hard to reconcile all opinions. Oneness. I, I mean, just because we're one doesn't mean that we can do everything together. My wife and I got married, we become one, but when we're in a public place, I don't follow her into the restroom. We're married, I should be able to... No, there's differences. She goes to the ladies' restroom, I go to the men's. We're different. I'm male, she's female. We can't always do everything together just because it's oneness. Sometimes we need to separate ways. We're called to different things, but we are one in Christ. And so that means when we get together, oneness, there's no barriers between, between us. We can have eye contact 
You let me look into your soul. I let you look into my soul. There's oneness. We can have eye contact. We're being, we can be comfortable in each other's presence. And because of our great trust for, in God, we can trust each other, even though we haven't always been trustworthy. We trust God and we love, and so we choose to trust each other. Because of oneness, when we get together, in spite of our differences, you may even, uh, your world and your involvements are totally different from my world and my involvements. When we get together, we can still talk about something. We're one in Christ. We can talk about our Savior. We have the ability to work together as God leads. We have the ability to pursue God because God is the center. Barriers exist and divisions occur because relationships are centered around practices, customs, and culture instead of Christ. If you can't talk to people because they don't know anything about football, you've got a problem. If you can't talk to people because they have a different occupation than you do, you've got a problem. If you can't talk to somebody because he's 50 years older than you, you've got a problem. If he's a Christian and you're a Christian, there should be plenty to talk about. We often tell what our center is by what divides us. We live by what we hate instead of by what we love. If you really want to live, you focus on what you love. What you love is what gives you life. Here's a quote. That person is already spiritually dying who tries to live by his disgusts instead of of his admirations, by the things he is angry at or hates instead of the things he loves. So we're one, one family, okay? One family now in Christ. How can you tell the difference between the real siblings and the neighbor's kids? When troubles and differences arise, the neighbors pick up their marbles and go home. When we are part of God's family, we continue to live together in spite of differences. All right, I just want a few points now about peacemaking. Peacemaking is not for wimps. Christ's mandate to be a peacemaker is a large one. Sin is a barrier. Sin is a barrier to having peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. Peacemaking is an active virtue. There is false peacemaking. It lets things alone. It refuses to ruffle the causes of unrighteousness or to rock the boat. It would rather let secret grudges fester within people's hearts than to deal with the difficult problems. But true love deepens when difficulties appear. Peacemaking is an active virtue. It's not laziness or letting things go. It gets in and does the dirty work. Peacemaking is a daring thing. It wishes the best for both sides, sees the good points of both parties, speaks its mind firmly but gently, 
rebukes without a touch of bitterness, rebukes without a touch of bitterness, and defends the right even when it is unpopular. Peacemakers must have an absence of all ill will. That's a big one, an absence of all ill will. They know a lack of love is worse than other faults. Peacemakers know that a lack of love is worse than other faults. That's a big one, people. It's more important to love. Peacemakers are realistic. They know the power of sin and how bad the world is. They do not define peace as the absence of conflict. They know the danger to their own lives. They know the cost of peacemaking and what it cost Christ. And this is maybe the most important part. Peacemakers are prepared to give their lives for others. The, their master was crucified. They would rather give their lives than take another's. As Christians, we ought to be such experts, specialists in reconciliation, in bringing people together, in bringing peace between people. We should be experts at that, that the world would wander, stand in amazement, and choose what we have. Are we willing to suffer as people are willing to suffer in warfare in order to bring reconciliation? Or we'll say it this way. I'll just leave you this question. Will you walk in the way of the cross? Will you walk in the way of the cross? Let's pray.